This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet in 3, we look at the ways indoor and outdoor spaces are being reconceptualized during the pandemic to better suit new modes of living, working, and eating. It's brought a vibrancy and an energy back to the city streets that were so dearly missed during the height of the pandemic. This is about how we can grow indoors all year round uh, using proprietary technology that we've developed. How do I have someone understand, look, don't take a next to the June berries because you can eat those. That's free food. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're recording remotely, and it's October 2020, a special pre-election episode uh, with some good brewer friends. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Heritage Radio Network. So let's go around the room and introduce everyone. Let's start with Jesse. Hey, Jimmy, this is Jesse Ferguson. I'm the uh, co-founder and brewer at Innerborough Spirits and Ales in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, man. Thanks for uh, putting the show together with me, Jesse. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And uh, Gene? Hello. Uh, my name is Gene Brole, and I'm the uh, co-founder, owner, brewer, janitor at Tired Hands Brewing Company out here in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Great, man. Thanks for what you do. And, and Ryan? Hi, my name is Ryan Winter-Marathew, and I am co-founder and brewer at Casita Brewing Company in Wilson, North Carolina. Great. So uh, it's October 2020. Um, there have been a lot of virtual collaborations, beer collaborations, social justice beers that have been made uh, this year. Um, many of them we've we've covered, including the All Together Beer Project and the Black is Beautiful Stout Project. Um, Jesse, the, the last week I saw your sales sheet uh, for, for New York City accounts, and I was noting just how many great collabs you've been part of. Recently you had done the, the Crosstown Kolsch with Brooklyn Brewery, and um, – you, you you wanted to talk about this certain collaboration. So so tell us about, you know, generally what you guys have been doing for collabs, um, you know, this year. Um, you know, it's been uh, it's been an interesting year. Uh, we, 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 you know, being part of the brewing community, it, you know, for me, has always meant working as closely as possible with other brewers. It's a great way to um learn other people's tricks or share your own tricks. And I mean, I mean that in the best possible way, just in terms of open source brewing. And, and that's how I learned to brew was, was open source brewing. And so constantly staying in touch with other brewers about what's, what's, what's working for them and, and sharing what's working for us is, is always been part of the ethos for me. And so having this COVID shutdown and meaning that we couldn't travel and we couldn't go to festivals and we couldn't, you know, get together with people face to face and, and keep, keep that, that, uh, community going as, as strong as it had been, um, really was like one of the worst parts of this whole situation for us. And so we started doing like zoom calls and, and, uh, you know, you know, just extensive email threads, but just, just to keep the, the creative juices flowing, I guess, as you might, as you would say. Um, and, you know, we tried to keep our, 
collaborations is as exciting as possible. Um, the, the, the Brooklyn Brewery one was fun because those guys actually did come over. <laughs> you know, like they actually they're close enough that they 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 got on their bikes and rode and rode over, and we uh, made a really cool culture together. So that was fun. But unfortunately, somebody like Gene, as much as I, I probably would have been to Philly twice by now since March, just to hang out and chill, um, and that has not happened because I have not been traveling. So. Yeah. So Gene, tell us about the the club. You've I've noticed you've also been doing a lot of cool projects too. So just just give us an intro what what the last 8 months have been like for you guys at Tired Hands. Yeah, sure. Um so, you know, like most breweries when when this whole thing hit, we uh planned on playing it pretty close to the chest, sort of, you know, playing the hits so to speak with uh beers that we that were tried and true that we knew people would want to buy that had that you know, beers that they had engaged with previously in the past, but very quickly, it was it became obvious that uh, you know through the magic of I guess telecommunication and FaceTime and whatnot, we'd be able to you know uh, get together with our, our brewing industry peers and, and friends and continue to be creative and uh, continue to foster that sense of community. So uh, we've done a few collaborations uh, uh, over over the the past I guess seven eight months um, and have continued to grow uh, in terms of production and whatnot. We, we've actually found. Uh, pretty fertile ground within this pandemic uh, for growth. Um, and one of those avenues being the uh, I Voted Today collaboration, or I guess it's hard to even call it a collaboration, just the I Voted Today initiative. Yeah. So, so tell us the spirit of it, because, you know, uh, we, we've covered the All Together Beer Project and, and you reference this is a similar spirit to the Black is Beautiful Project. So totally. So, I mean, taking great inspiration from what Other Half did, uh, with all together and what weathered souls did uh, with black is beautiful uh, we we kind of crafted this this initiative to be completely nonpartisan um, and to cast as wide a net within our country as possible um, to to communicate to brewers who would then in turn communicate to their uh, local population just the, the importance of voting uh, so at tired hands you know We've never been overtly political, but we've always um, encouraged voting um, amongst our staff and our guests. Um, and we wanted to just extend that sort of uh, th- that broadcast as 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 widely and thoroughly as possible. Um, so, you know, the, the the meat and potatoes of it is just a super simple copy American Pale Ale. Uh, we encouraged participating breweries of which I think we hit around 45 uh, all day, which is pretty great considering there's. 50 states. Um, we encouraged all participating breweries to kind of put their own spin on it uh, because obviously, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in Philly. I know what my local people like. Uh, I know how to play it in the pocket. And that was sort of the point of this beer is to give people kind of what they wanted just to get those cans in their fridge. So every time they cracked one open, they'd be reminded to just vote. Um, and yeah, it, it, it kind of caught on and, um, and it, yeah, if, if, if it all ends up ringing true, we will have impacted uh, the voter turnout in some in some monicum of a way. Yeah, no, it's it's great to see everyone get behind it. I mean, particularly you're in a, um, a swing state, which where the votes kind of do matter more. Um, and, and then also Ryan. So, Ryan, uh, tell us how you got involved with this project and you're in North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty easy. Gene sent me a text message and said, Hey, do you guys want to be part of this? And we said yes. Uh, as soon as he mentioned it, we knew that we wanted to be on board with it because 
I think uh, voter participation is a really important cause, not just in presidential elections, but local elections as well, because those have a big impact on people's daily lives. Yeah. So, Gene, let's go back to Tired Hands. I think it's the first time I've ever had you on. I remember, I don't know how many years ago, five or six years ago, you first launched in New York City. I remember uh, going with an industry friend to one of the barcade bars in Manhattan. And uh, we first time I had Tired Hands, it was a very hazy IPA. Um, it definitely woke me up and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, how has it gone for you guys? You know, your, your whole vision just tell us your vision uh, from the beginning. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not surprised that you had a, a hazy hoppy beer from us. That's definitely our sweet spot and has been for about, geez, almost a decade now. Um, but the, the vision uh, for Tired Hands was to open a small brewery with a small kitchen and operate as a, you know, a, a, a community meeting place. Um, so our original brewery, um, I'm, I'm speaking to you from our original brewery right now, houses a seven barrel Peter Austin system, uh, and you know, a kitchen that's the, probably the size of your, your broom closet. Um, and we, we rode that hard for about three years. Um, and then the vision kind of became a little more prismatic. Uh, you know, we opened up a much larger production brewery in the same town of, of Ardmore, you know, with the, up to a 40 barrel brew house in there um, and with a much larger kitchen, uh, cranking out a totally different uh, menu than the cafe uh, and began engaging in distribution, which is how you initially uh, engaged with our with our beer. Uh, from there, uh, I realized that my my role was much greater than that of a brewer slash business person. I realized that in order to continue to foster talent that had been with us since day one, and we're extremely fortunate in that with Actually, at this point, with no exception, people that leaders in this company, people that run this company with me have been with us for at least eight years. Uh, and that really makes me proud. So I realized that in order to continue growing in a positive, healthy manner, I would have to foster their growth, uh, both like professionally and emotionally. So we began opening other smaller establishments. We, we, we have since opened up a, a general store type type thing in Ardmore. We've opened up this cool like fantasy stoner restaurant in in uh, Fishtown. Uh, we've opened up an 8,000 square foot beer garden. Uh, and, you know, before the pandemic hit, we had hit right around 150 employees. Um, and then the pandemic hit. So the, the vision now has, like I said earlier, has kind of turned inward. And we're, um, you know, we're focusing much more on that production side of, of our of our business. We, we haven't, you know, we have yet to reopen any sort of our front facing restaurants. Uh, just out of extreme caution for our staff and our communities. Wow, that's a great little intro. I'm going to just jump to a voting history. Um, you know, it seemed like in the 19th century, there were great barbecues uh, where people would basically host thousands of people and, and try to get them to, to vote for them. Um, you know, I don't think you can give away beer. Uh, can you give away beer? And it, how else could beer play in swinging an election? Um, well, we in Pennsylvania, at least, we can give away up to 10 fluid ounces per person per day. And that's, uh, you know, what we've done in the past is uh, if you brought in your little I voted today sticker, we would give you a free eight ounce pour, um, you know, that, but uh, and that, you know, that I guess that's not necessarily encouraging voting. It's rewarding voting. Um, but, yeah, I kind of open up the floor uh, to, to Jesse and Ryan how beer can encourage voting. Yeah, 
I would say uh, for us, what we're trying to do is use the I Voted Today project to highlight the members of our staff and how they're how they're going to what their plan is for having their voices heard in uh, in this election coming up. So as a way to highlight and I think it's a general movement right with this whole voter awareness that having a plan there's so much there's with with the pandemic happening there's so much uncertainty about how people can vote um and i think what's important is that people decide in advance how they are how they feel safest voting and make a plan to get it done so that you know their voice can be so they can have their say and it can be counted which is you know the important part of especially this year of making sure that you know especially with our with our folks and and people who are communal compromised that they can get their their ballots in and that they'll be they, that they know that they'll be collected and and uh, delivered by the US Postal Service in New York we have uh, early voting starting on um, this coming actually to well October 24th I won't date the <laughs> um, but so, so so Saturdays you can get in for I think it's two full weeks prior to November 3rd that you can get in and vote and hopefully avoid bigger lines. Um, and then, you know, getting your, it's too late to request absentee ballots at this point, but hopefully people that did request them have gotten them and are going to get them filled out. So we're trying to use the beer as a way to just keep the idea in front of people on our social media, you know, every day or every other day, highlighting something or somebody on our staff and what their plan is. That's great. And Ryan, then North Carolina, um, you know, how, how is this, I, I, you know, I voted today beer uh, working for you guys. So for us, it's worked pretty well. Um, we were told uh, by somebody, I don't know, that's involved in, in all this type of stuff. We weren't allowed to actually give away any beer. Like we made stickers up and we weren't even allowed to give those away. Cause that was, that's like in like unfairly encouraging people to vote or something. So <laughs> we stopped, we just, we weren't allowed to say trade in your sticker for our sticker. We can just give them away as is. Um, but it's been very good for us. I think um, what we've tried to do with, with uh, the, I voted on our end is figure out how we could use this to directly impact uh, our local community. And so when we released the beer, we held a big voter registration drive. We signed up poll workers. We used it as an opportunity to remind people about the early voting that's going on because ours started on the 15th. Um, and we're, we're taking the, the donation portion of this and we're putting it into a local uh, nonprofit that provides rides to the polls so that we can sponsor as many people that might not normally go to vote as possible simply because of the barriers. Maybe they don't own a car. Maybe the polling site's too far away from them, all that type of stuff to try to make it easier for them and just overall stress the importance of voting and engagement because uh, if you don't vote, you can't complain about the politics and how they affect you. Like, Think of the worst person that you don't agree with and think that they're voting and maybe you should vote because if they care about it, you should care about it and how, how it all is going to impact your life. Yeah, it definitely. My, my daughter uh, just graduated high school and when she had U.S. history, she asked me some questions about politics. And I thought about it and I said, you know, honestly, the first thing is if, if we had more people voting right now, barely 50 percent of people vote 
in a general election, if you even had 80 percent of the population voting, you you would you would be able to see things a lot clearer, you know. So I think you guys are on to something. Um, let's talk about the beer itself. So this formula, it's a double dry hopped pale ale, 5 percent. Um, Jesse, what's yours? Because your can says IPA. Yeah, so we sort of we, we sort of took the liberty that Gene gave us with the project and 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 bumped it up to six percent uh, crushable IPA because that's you know that's that's one of our favorite kind of beers to make and it's and and it's for our for our following it's definitely the, sort of one of the go to beers so um, ours is but then we took we basically just scaled Gene's suggested recipe so you know base malt and uh base malt and oats gene yeah that's that's pretty much it uh we we recommended you know domestic two row you know the most basic blank canvas yeah so we we do we used our our pilsner malt which is our base and oats and then um believe we went with uh simcoe el dorado and citra uh, as the hops and you know because you know the idea being to make it as from our point of view, and I think what sort of Gene's goal, correct me if I'm wrong, was just to make it as the most appealing possible drinkable beer we could so that there, there would be, no one would have a barrier to enjoying it, just like we want no one to have a barrier to getting their vote cast. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot about your signature beer. For me, I, I probably enjoyed your beer more at, at uh, Alphabet City Beer Co. in the East Village uh, this seemed like for a long time they'd have the Innerboro Mad Fat Fluid on, on draft. And this is before COVID. Um, tell us the recipe for Mad Fat Fluid and, and how you came up with that beer. Because to, to me, that that is your signature beer. Um, yeah, that's definitely one of our two IPAs that we make the most. Uh, so Mad Fat Fluid is definitely a little more old school West Coast. Uh, it has some English uh, pale malt, so it's got a little malty backbone to it um and uh centennial uh mosaic and uh, a hop that's now known as equinot but i still refer to as equinox i know it's called euconot uh, equinot that's what it's called now equinot but i call it equinox because when i when i fell in love with it that's what it was called so yeah i remember that too <laughs> <laughs> um that's a seven percent ipa and yeah we make a lot of fat fluid yeah, yeah. And Ryan, what about you? What What are your uh, signature beers? Do you have signature beers? What, I literally just heard about you 20 minutes ago. Uh, Gene called us and said, Ryan from Casita is going to join in. So uh, just tell us a little bit more about your brewery. Yeah, so we don't we don't really have uh, signature beers or anything like that. Up until August, we've operated for the past almost five years as a contract brewery. So I've always just rented space in a local brewery for me and, and used their extra capacity to brew my beer. And we just opened up our own small space in Wilson uh, at the end of August. Um, and because we've been a contract brewery and because of how the market is, it's usually just like two new beers every month. People want new beer, new beer, new beer. Uh, and we've kind of rolled that into the new space also, uh, at least until we run out of ideas. And then maybe we'll start. We bring them back like... Any beer that we make uh, usually gets made once a year at most, and and most times it doesn't come back for like two years or so. Yeah, and and what's so Wilson, North Carolina? What 
What's the political climate like there? Is it um, generally like a mixed bag of people? Is, is you know what what is Wilson, North Carolina? It's it's so it's a it's a rural town. It once was a major tobacco hub, uh, and I think people would look at it and think that it leans red, but Wilson tends to go blue uh, in almost all elections. Um, yeah. So the, the, like G.K. Butterfield, which is one of the few libertarians in, uh, in Congress, is from Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, he gets voted in there all the time. But for the most part, it goes blue in all the, all the elections. And then when, you know, when it was a tobacco, tobacco area, has something replaced tobacco? Yeah, so there's pharmaceutical companies. Pfizer has a, has a base here, I believe. Uh, so pharmaceuticals have come in. Tires are a big thing. Gene's been here. He's seen the the giant White's tire statue. Yeah, unfortunately, I have um, seen that. He says unfortunately because it it, it, it kind of looks like it's giving the Sikh Heil. Uh, <laughs> and so it's fun to drive people past it. Um, so tires is a big industry here. And now beer. Our brewery is doing quite well. Uh, it was a, a, a weird thing opening a brewery in the middle of a pandemic. But we've been very lucky with the support we get from our town. And we are also extremely lucky in this fact that we have a massive outdoor space that we can put everybody in instead of inside. Wow, that's pretty great. So in, instead of smoke tobacco, you could tell people to with the tires, they could smoke rubber, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to get a little I'm trying to get a little flavor out of you all, because it seems that North Carolina and Pennsylvania um, seem to be really important for this yeah. election and we know there's there's they're both very complex states right with i mean you guys have a you have cities you have rural you have a lot of different histories and re- i mean north carolina just like pennsylvania is a big state also north carolina and pennsylvania i believe both have faced uh supreme court cases over gerrymandering where they're supposed to redraw the districts uh because both of them had uh certain legislators who who drew these really complex districts that when they went up for the sniff test above the Supreme court, both got ruled down. Wow. And Gene, did, did you expect uh, to have these types of conversations when, when you started the, 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 I vote, uh, <laughs> I voted today beer project. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, that, that's sort of the, that's sort of at the core of it is, is to encourage these types of conversations. Like, like I said earlier, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a very visual person. Um, and, and I was in my hope was that in creating this this label, which we, you know, supplied every participating brewery with, uh, we would create a conversation piece with each four pack with each can, because the label is literally just uh, our our take on the I voted today sticker. So, um, yeah, 100 uh, percent. I expected it and I'm glad that they're happening. So for you, the evolution, you know, I, I first had your beers on draft. This whole can revolution with, you know, how many thousands of breweries in this country, um, you know, definitely I feel like for creativity, um, you guys are you're a boon for the creative industry, you know, because of all those artists making labels, um, which the last time I remember it was something like the the album record albums of the 60s and 70s, you know. Um, so you guys are, are responsible or you know, your industry is really generating a lot of creative art projects, but also these social projects. It's like, like I said, black is beautiful all together. And now this, um, what's your take on that? Like, do you feel like that's an important part of what breweries are doing now? Um, how much do you guys engage in the creativity 
you know, are you who you have different artists working for you, um, things like that. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, guilty is charged. Like, uh, like I said earlier, I'm a very visual person, and uh, you know, from the inception of Pirate Hands, uh, I mean, I've, I've known Ryan for my entire adult life. Uh, one, if if not my longest brewing friend, one of my longest brewing friends, and I, I've. I had the Tired Hands logo mocked up, you know, half a decade before we actually opened. Then when we actually opened, I was in charge of all the visuals, the brewing and whatnot. And eventually, after a few years, I relinquished that control uh, to, I mean, just like you were hinting at earlier, uh, we hired our, our favorite illustrator to come in-house and uh, and create our, our labels, the illustrations for our labels from the ground up. And um, I think to date over the past like I said, almost decade, we have created something like 2000 unique beers. Uh, not all of them went into a package, but a good majority of them did. So um, between myself and Mike, our illustrator, uh, we, we as a company generate a whole lot of, of new imagery for consideration weekly. Um, and we're, I mean, I don't think we're any exception. Uh, and I completely agree with you that this is, you know, a really uh, engaging, imaginative time in craft beer. Um, both organoleptically and visually uh, for not just the producers, but also um, also people engaging with the beer, the customers. As a matter of fact, I went into a bottle shop yesterday for the first time in about a year, and I was completely pulled over sensory overload with all of the different selections available, uh, both in can and bottle. Jesse, I saw your beer there. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Was my, was my beer there? <laughs> no, your beer wasn't right. Yeah, getting the getting the art, you know, and the names, it you know, it it's fun. It's a big part of the of of the of the fun part of brewing, uh, being a brewer, I guess, and running a brewery, um, and you know, trying to put some personality into every every product that we put out, and you know, and working with visual artists. We work with a a, a group of basically typesetters. Um, uh, that are actually based in Philly and uh, it's so much fun every, you know, to give them a name and an inspiration and then have them come back with some really, you know, super fun or intriguing type treatment um, that, that sort of totally captures the the personality of the beer that we want to, that we want to project out to our, uh, to our beer drinkers in our community. And, um, you know, I think that there the stuff that you know the stuff that Tired Hands does with the illustrations, and then and, you know, I just saw your uh, when you sent us Colin sent us some of that that lager gene the the with the cool new super fresh die cut label. What's that series called? Uh, the Trembler Pills. It, was that was that the Trembler? With the with the wrap around the bottom, but then the big die cut that went up the front. I thought that oh, was. Really? Those are saisons. Oh, I those think. are saisons, right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those are awesome, man. Those are that, those, yeah. yeah that, those. that was a that was a big uh, sort of like <laughs> engineering feat for us in our uh, creative department. It took about a year to design them, but they look super sleek and you know, dare I say, futuristic. Yeah, it's really fresh, and and you know, and, and seeing all the, you know, new breweries, peers, friends, uh, dare I say, competition. All everybody's always up in the game, right? And so it's 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 fun that way. Yeah. Hey, well, this is we're off to a great start. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy. 
despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Become a member of heritageradionetwork.org. We're talking about the I Voted Today Beer Project uh, by Tired Hands and with uh, Innerborough and Casita Brewing. Um, so, guys, we're, we're talking about labels and creativity and, and social projects. And, you know, beer is so much more than, uh, you know, just just a fluid Um one thing I, I love about these projects is that to me, drinking a beer, the place you were in used to really mean a lot, whether you're in a pub or a tasting room. But now, you know, m- many of us, most of us drinking at home or, or, or not in a in a public place. I guess these stories really matter, right? Um, anybody want to join that one? Ryan, st- st- the importance of stories and create in and the art and the social projects for beer in, in terms of... Uh, people's enjoyment you know since they're not drinking in pubs and things uh yeah so for us up and like i said up until august we were a contract brewery and it was literally just me and my wife and i make the beer and my wife does all the labels and social media and stuff and i feel like it really helped uh be able to tell a story about us so whenever people got our beer and they saw the labels and uh sometimes it features like our daughter on the front or something like that it really engages the consumers with us before we had a, a, a tap room or anything and really helped um, build the brand up that way a little bit. Uh, I think the social projects are good because uh, there's a tendency, I guess, to not want to put yourself out there in the industry and concern that you might alienate a potential customer or something like that. And all of these have really helped to uh, let breweries for once put themselves out there a little bit and say, like, I believe in these things that should not be, uh, they should not be anything that upsets people. But I know at least with the black is beautiful. A lot of breweries face backlash backlash from people who thought that this was something they shouldn't take part in or anything like that. Uh, and even in the, I voted, I'm sure there's people that get upset about it, but that says more about the consumer than the brewery. I think it's a good thing that breweries are doing this. There's going to be more of them, I'm sure, going down the road uh, and all in a, in a hopeful push to push more social consciousness forward 
from consumers and breweries alike. Yeah, I remember seeing a couple months ago, Jeff Allworth of Beervana had posted a survey of craft beer drinkers. And it was amazing that at least of his his list, you know, his his readers, many more of them were of like a liberal persuasion than conservative. Um, maybe it has to do with education. I'm not really sure. I don't want to put my foot in my mouth, but it is very interesting to see what the craft beer audience is. Um, let's talk about COVID. During COVID, you know, you all make different beers, special beers. Um, Gene, are you making more SKUs during COVID because you're selling cans or are you still on the same program that you were before? Yeah, that, that's a great question uh, with a loaded answer. So um, when when COVID first hit, uh, we had, you know, like I'm sure most businesses, in our case breweries, uh, we kind of found ourselves scrambling, wondering what to do. We were actually on the precipice of an expansion that we delayed uh, slightly. Um, and, you know, there, we, we were having these internal conversations like, well, shoot, should we just brew a bunch of lager and imperial stouts, old ale, that's just going to... That, beers that we can just park in tanks and not worry about if we get shut down. Um, but that fear and paranoia and confusion totally subsided after a few weeks when we realized that we were selling more beer than we had in, in quite some time in cans. So obviously, uh, all of our all of our packaging pivoted to just cans. Um, still to this day, we're like 97% uh, in cans with our full production. Uh, and after a few weeks, we, re- we realized that people engaging with our beer weren't buying the one-offs like they used to. They completely pivoted to the beers that they knew were going to be, you know, precisely what they wanted at a price point that was agreeable. Um, so, you know, for the first three to four months, we, we totally ratcheted up, uh, you know, our, our core stable of beers, beers like Hop Hands, Alien Church, Pineal, Oblivex, whatever, um, but then after about three or four months, we saw that trend begin to subside and uh, demand for one-offs pick back up again. So I guess right now, like as, as we're having this conversation, we're pretty much back to where we were uh, pre-COVID with the exception of we're just packaging everything in cans and we were able to uh, actually expand during this, this whole pandemic, um, which, which was a, a pleasant surprise. And Jesse, what about you? Um, so we went through a definite, you know, initial total shutdown, um, followed by the same, uh, same sort of contemplation of let's just put stuff in tanks that we know can sit, um, to, you know, followed by May and June when, when it got really bad in New York city and, um, you know, you know, when everybody had no one had any idea how the how the thing was transmitted or where who had it, or and it, and it got real bad in New York. You know, it, it got scary um, to everybody ordering at home and and us seeing like just sort of like a massive increase or pick up from zero at least um, to people taking doing takeout, and then in the summer it was it was like everybody just left town. You know, I mean, once every, once school was out, the, the city got really, really quiet. Um, and so we slowed down again and then we picked back up again in September. For us, it's really just been a, a pretty massive roller coaster and, and unpredictable. Um, we're at this point back to pretty much the same skew mix in terms of like, we've got 
our Bushberg and our, you know, our lagers and our, and our IPA that we make uh, all the time. We're still making them all the time. And then we're doing the same number essentially every month over month of, of one-offs. Um, you know, the beer, people are just still drinking beer. And, and so it, it's good for us overall, I'd say um, there has definitely been an impact uh, in terms of like, you know, we're also what 90, whatever percent package. Um, and we went from being 75% draft. Um, and, and we're trying to push the draft back to support our local customers, people who are trying to stay open with, you know, 25%. We're, we're doing, we brewed a lot more lagers. And so we can offer out deals on the lagers because we, you know, people are trying to have a beer that they can make a good margin on. And, you know, and we're trying to see, help our customers make it through this, um, to whatever the other side is, you know? Um, so yeah, it hasn't been, I wouldn't say it's been fun. It's definitely been exciting. Um, you know, and it has, you know, to Ryan's point about sort of the social justice in beer, I think, uh, you know, it has been a time when it, it, it's really felt, you know, we were always kind of political a little bit. We did a beer called not my prez, um, in, in our El Prez series. Uh, and we lost a lot of people at that point. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, we never, we, we kind of were honing in on who our core audience was anyway. Um, but it's been a great, it's been super liberating to be able to work, be involved in first the all together and then the black is beautiful. And, and now that I voted to really put a stake in the ground, as far as we're concerned about who we are for our customers, you know, it's beer is, I've always said it, it's a lifestyle choice as much as it is a, as a flavor choice or anything. And so, you know, we've always said that we're going to be, you know, we're trying to figure out who exactly our, our core audience is and, and cater to them as much as possible, you know? Yeah. I mean, way, way back, uh, one woman wrote a book called America Walks Into a Bar, and I'm, I'm blanking on her name, but she basically said that the, you know, the whole colonial revolution was because people were able to come together freely and associate, and um, they talked ideas, and, and that was a, a big reason why America became independent. Um, so, you know, beer does have a role in democracy. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> beer and barbecue, you know, we'll have a big beer and barbecue and uh, get out the vote. Let's talk about state by state. I want to talk about uh, bre- policies that affect breweries. Now, let's go to Gene. You're in Pennsylvania. Um, I know when COVID started that some of the state liquor stores were shut down. What What's going on in that state? Can you ship out of state? What are some state restrictions um, or, or things that benefit you guys as breweries in Pennsylvania? Sure, sure. So, um, I mean, liquor law in Pennsylvania has changed at a breakneck speed over the past decade. Uh, so when we opened, distributors were only able to sell cases. And that, you know, flash forward today, um, a distributor can sell everything from a single pony bottle to a case of beer to a keg. Uh, it's really been blown open. Um, and so Pennsylvania has also... I don't know when it began, but Pennsylvania has also allowed uh, wine, Pennsylvania wineries um, and breweries, and I'm sure spirit producers, to ship within the state uh, for some time. It's just for some, for whatever reason, up until the pandemic, most breweries didn't do it. Um, we were extremely fortunate in that go, about two years ago, we established our own direct-to-consumer delivery service called Dudley Direct. Um and so we, we did a lot of digging. My wife in particular, who's a lawyer, did a whole lot of digging to sort of uh, pave the way for us to be able to do this. But 
Uh, I say we were, we were incredibly fortunate because we just shifted gears as, so, as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, opened the floodgates to uh, our Dudley Direct service, and people just immediately took advantage of it. And we were fortunate because we had the infrastructure, we had the raw materials in terms of packaging um, to just shotgun blast. We, we, had a, we had a relationship with a, with a private carrier uh, to just shotgun blast it out to Pennsylvania residents. Um, since the pandemic has hit, um, at least Pennsylvania has opened up to uh, allowing UPS and FedEx to deliver. So that, you know, cuts a little bit of cost off of working with a, a private carrier. Um, and so now it's just really state to state. So we, we're, we just opened up D.C. as a delivery zone and we're working towards opening up a few more states uh, over the over the next few weeks. But um, but yeah, it, it's Pennsylvania has, has become a very agreeable state uh, to be a beer producer slash distributor in. And, and if I were running for some random office in Pennsylvania, what what could I promise breweries in Pennsylvania that, that would get their vote? <clears throat> Um, doesn't mean you'll get it, but lower the state excise tax <laughs> always comes back to taxes, right? Yeah, sure. I'm struggling. I mean, like I said, I, it, Pennsylvania has become an extremely agreeable state to do business in as a, as an alcohol producer. Yeah. And Jesse, what, what about in New York? Um, have you guys been doing anything like deliveries or anything? Yeah. So New York, um, is also, I would say an incredibly agreeable state to be an alcohol producer. Um, we have an, you know, a pretty added complexity in that we're not only a brewery, but also a distillery. So every time any of the laws change, we've got to keep our eyes on, you know, sort of both vectors. Um, and New York did open up also home delivery for both, uh, breweries and distilleries via, um, you know, any sort of third party carrier, uh, UPS has been the most agreeable. Uh, the only hiccup for us is that you're technically not allowed to put spirits and beer in the same box, which is kind of is, is a major pain in the ass for us because we make these little canned cocktails um, that a lot of people like, and they also want to buy beer. Um, and so then it's problematic and that would actually the, the the spirits laws or regulations or temporary sort of easements of regulations happen slower than they did for beer as which is almost always the case anyway people are legislators and people in general are always way more cautious about spirits than they are about beer when it comes to like letting people do shit um it's just more expensive to operate a distillery than it is a brewery in the whole nine but uh yeah, so now we're we're doing UPS delivery and you know home delivery. We had our own our own home delivery service for a while for like you know Brooklyn and Manhattan, and that went really well. But then as the bars started to open back up, we couldn't we couldn't really figure out how to you know get our delivery team. They were getting you know swamped with both you know sort of our our accounts uh, ordering and then the retail people. So we switched them all over to UPS. You guys had a pretty creative name for your delivery service, didn't you? IRT, Interboro Rapid Transit. <laughs> Same as the subway, bro. I love yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> oh, cool. And Ryan, what about for you guys? North Carolina from tobacco to rubber. Smoke rubber, bro. No. Uh, North Carolina does. It's, it, it does allow shipping. It's, it's a state that's actually uh, really good for shipping beer. We don't do it because I don't know how to do any like that's a bunch of online stuff and i don't have a website that's good like that or anything just because of how we've been up to now we've never had to make that pivot or <laughs> or anything 
Um, and, you know, we rely a lot on our retail accounts who we've been dealing with for the three years before we opened up our tasting room. And I wouldn't want to ever like jeopardize those relationships with them because we've been a very distribution heavy beer brand because we did not have a place for people to come and buy our beer directly. And some of them do a lot of shipping around the state already. So I'd rather like funnel people towards those places than uh, take it myself. That's a great attitude. You know, the independent retailers, that's also part of politics too. You know, every state has different laws for uh, retail shops. And I know that in New York in particular, there's this great tradition of independent wine and liquor stores that um, is a very special franchise that, that is, um, there's a lot of great laws like that. I know Colorado had, had laws where, um, only independent retailers could sell beer, wine, and liquor too, which people say definitely helps uh, a lot of small craft. Um, this episode is almost too much for me to handle because <laughs> there's so much going on. Literally, as we're recording, you know, there's a, there's a debate tonight. Um, I do feel that I like the way that this is going, and I'd like for you guys each to sum up why you think. Um, this project is important and it's still going to be going on. So these beers, you can still buy them after the election. Um, what's the case, Gene? Uh, I mean, we brewed a, we brewed a few batches of it. So um, it, I, I don't, I, we didn't dictate the uh, sort of the momentum of other breweries brewing schedules. Uh, so if they're still brewing it, uh, then you can still get it. But uh, we are on the tail end of our second batch right now. So um, just in time, apparently, you know, yeah, no, it's refreshing. I mean, I'm one of those people that's just about ready to hang up on the whole election. I already voted, of course, too. So I voted. Uh, I was able to do absentee ballot in New York. Um, but, you know, I don't know, man. I think we should just toast. Does everyone have a beer with them? Um, is anyone drinking something? I just finished a hard seltzer. <laughs> I've, oh. got a, I've got a beer. What are you drinking, Jesse? Uh, I'm drinking... Uh, one of our I voted, of course, because I was like, I'm going to drink this while I talk to Jimmy and Gene and Ryan about I voted. And what about you, Gene? Um, I was I was also going to drink a hard seltzer just to be funny from from Stillwater. Um, he makes this ritual pineapple that's really damn good. But uh, that's what I just drank, Gene. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yes. Is it the I, I was on the road when Gene asked me if we were part of this. I pulled over to one of my accounts to record this session, and one of my accounts offered it to me, and it was fantastic. It's fantastic. Uh, but anyway, I Jesse sort of jogged my my memory, and uh, I recalled that Jester King sent me some of their I voted today, so I'm going to open that right now. Sweet. Yeah, so uh, and what, what leeway did they take? Um, you yeah, know, what? I... What they brewed, Gene? I, I I couldn't tell you precisely the hops they use, but um, if I'm not mistaken, all of their hoppy beers is, is fermented with that uh, Kavik Quake yeast. I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Kavik, but Kavik, yeah. Kavik, I think. Kavik. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's actually really good. Super, uh, like lemon verbena y. So I'd imagine they use maybe something like Cascade or Crystal. Yeah, and then let's one, one more question because we're we're gonna. We talk about this a lot. So, Jesse, when you first heard, when did you first hear about the I Voted Today beer project? And then what what would have been your first question for Gene? Uh, well, he texted me. <laughs> and, uh, 
And my first question for Gene was, uh, you know, when? I think I emailed, I think I texted Colin like a few days later, Gene, and was like, so, you know, when? And Colin was just like, as soon as possible. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's, let's get this going. You know what I mean? I, uh, we're donating our, a dollar from every four pack to, um, the ACLU. We did another beer this summer called the people power project and we were donating to them already. So for us, uh, you know, donating the proceeds or a portion of the proceeds to ACLU is what made the most sense. Um, you know, I you know, for me, it's it, it's like I said. I think uh, you know, we people just need to get out and vote. Breweries, everybody, everybody needs to sort of take a stand. And 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 I think they're trying to hide or not hide. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to. But I think taking a stand and 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 having our brand and our business and the people behind our business stand up for what we all believe in is important. And this is a you know an awesome way to do it. So I was thrilled when Gene when Gene invited us to do it and that he was doing it. And, um, you know, I think that it, in the, in the big beer community, there are, there's, there's leaders, right. And, and it's, it, you know, and it takes leaders stepping out and saying, we're going to do this, this cool thing. And, and it allows everybody else to sort of, you know, get involved and be part of that part of the community and, and, you know, sort of point the direction for where we want beer and, and our society overall to go, you know? Yeah, man. Well, that's great. Jesse, thanks for pointing this out to me and bringing everyone together. Gene, anything else you want to say uh, to wrap it up? Um, I mean, I really appreciated Ryan's point about this initiatives like this being uh, really sort of like positive scaffolding for breweries, even if they're sort of gun shy to support something to support something. Um, and yeah, man, an informed and engaged electorate is necessary for democracy to succeed. And, you know, less than 60 something 62 percent of eligible vote voters have turned out over the past few elections so you know if if we can broadcast a beer like this as widely as possible i feel like uh it's just a super positive step in the right in the right direction and you know at the end of the day even if they don't vote which would suck they still get a delicious beer out of it that's great and the last thing your, your philosophies i know i'm pushing the show but um in the some of the guidelines and language, you guys, you you have, you said there's loose guidelines uh, f- for this this beer. Um, you didn't really give a set recipe. Yes. Uh, is that part of your philosophy in general? That uh, a creative philosophy or? Yeah, um, kind of. I mean, as we've grown, uh, you know, we have like our set recipes and like set ways of doing things, SOPs and procedures and whatnot, but. I mean, speaking personally as a creative person, uh, my brewery was was founded on, you know, this sort of axis of creativity and hard work. Um, and that's, you know, still to this day at our smaller brewery, our, our, our cafe brewery, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a weird day if, if we fully record a recipe, you know, as we're brewing seven barrels at a time. Uh, I, I totally encourage experimentation and create, you know, creativity amongst our brewers, especially on the smaller scale. So uh, for us to not provide a brew sheet and, and specific uh, connections between point A, point B, point C is sort of just par for the course uh, for how I like to do things. Uh, I think it's more fun that way and you know, a little more engaging because now for the collectors out there, they're going after every iteration of it because each iteration is, is going to be a different beer in and of itself. 
And that's I just very want to cool. say, if the uh, TTP is listening, Gene said all of that in parody. He's very detailed brew logs for everything he produces. Hey, yeah. hey, Gene. I mean, sorry, Jimmy. Can I get, can I tell a real quick story? Do you have sure. Time? Yeah. All right. So the first time that I went and brewed uh, at Tired Hands with with Gene and Colin, um, we were gonna go. We were gonna brew a, a quintuple IPA, right, Gene? Like that yeah. was yeah. And I showed up, and Colin was like, "What's a quintuple IPA?" And I was like, "I don't really know what a quintuple IPA is." And then he and I started talking. And he was like, "Wait, you used to brew boat beer? Let's let's just brew let's brew that, but make it our our, our own thing." And 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 it was and it was literally like the one of the best collaborations I've ever gotten to participate in because we literally just like walked over to their their pallet rack full of grain, looked at what they had, came up with a a, a grain bill on the fly, walked into their coal room, looked at the the pellets of hops they had, came up with a a, a hop schedule on the fly talked about how we were going to acidify the mash with you know to bring the pH down to increase the perception of hops gene came in you know maybe 45 minutes later was like that sounds awesome let's we've got all this lemon juice instead of acidifying with lactic acids let's let's acidify with lemon juice and let's use a bunch of lemon ver- was it lemon verbena that you had growing on your farm gene yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And it was just like, okay, cool. 45 minutes later, we had, you know, a, a, a really, I was a beer that I was super proud of. And it turned out, I th- you know, awesome as far as I was concerned. Was that, it was Ridiculoid, right? Ridiculoid, yep, yep. And, uh, and it was all just literally just like, you know, let's sit down at the table like you're sitting down at the kitchen and come up with a really good recipe. And, and it was, yeah, it was a ton of fun. And I think it, you know, that's one of the things I've always admired about Tired Hands is is the experimentation is at the forefront. You know what I mean? And uh, Can I tag on to this story really quick just to try to, like, if anything, just show how it goes even be- before Tired Hands started? So Gene and I, uh, we homebrewed together before before either of us started our breweries. Pack we in Pennsylvania, and he worked at Weyerbacher, and I worked for Tanzo's Beverage in Northampton, Pennsylvania. Uh and there was a time when we were brewing a batch of pale ale and Gene literally rolled up and was just like, hey, man, my friend just gave me all these tomatoes and basils. Let's just throw it in. And just threw it in the boil, made this tomato basil pale ale. <laughs> that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, but was another thing where we just, you know, sit down and brew one thing and end up with something different just because the the muse floated in front of him and took his yeah. attention away. That's that's not that, that's called the spirit of brewing and it flows strong through all of us. <laughs> I mean, we did it with oysters there just recently. <laughs> when, when Gene came to brew with me last month or in August, uh, a, a, an oyster farmer just walked into the brewery and was like, I'm a big fan of yours. Can I give you a bunch of oysters? We're like, yeah, give us 20 pounds of oysters. So we just threw it in the boil. <laughs> well, awesome. you guys are just getting warmed up, which is what, what happens on this show. So uh, hopefully we, this will lead to many more collaborations and uh, – Good, good vibes between you all. And big shout out. I'm voting for free beer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, remember, there's a great history of breweries and publicans and taverns uh, being the fountain of democracy in America. So I'm so proud of you guys. Um, there have been some really great social justice and other collaborations that, that have been cooked up during COVID. And I think that once again, the, these craft breweries are leading the way, showing us um 
what we can do. And, it's, and there's nothing new going on now. It's eight months into COVID. There's a lot of changes. Uh, New York City right now, um, not, some number of restaurants are probably going to close just for the winter because they really can't figure out how to justify or even to operate with indoor seating. So you got to keep these projects going. We're keeping the radio station going and uh, everyone's going to get out and vote. So thanks so much, guys. Um, big shout out to everybody, to Gene, Ryan, and Jesse for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Shout out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and our engineer, Amanda Wang. Uh, this show you'll be hearing the week of October 27th. 2020. So thanks so much. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Heritage Radio Network.